Welcome to the Melanin Private Practice Group Podcast with your host, Jay Lynn. In this podcast, we focus on providing helpful information to new and existing mental health practitioners interested in starting a private practice and or those who are currently in it but just need a little bit of help. If you are ready to receive this word, let's dive in. Here we go. Hey, 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 everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this live podcast. I'm your host, Jay Lynn, and today we are talking about preparing for a private practice. In episode one, we talked about are you ready for private practice, where the why was the center of our episode. Why are you starting a private practice? What problem are you solving? Today's episode, we're talking about the steps you need to take in order to be effective in starting your private practice. So first steps first, research. (laughs) Research, research, research. Research is going to be your best friend. And I can't stress that enough. You need to be able to research your market. You need to research your potential clients, have a buyer persona. You need to research the barriers to entry. You need to research the laws and regulations in each and every single state and city in which you plan to market to your potential customers, where you plan to have an office, where you plan to be licensed. It is important that you understand every single strength, weakness, opportunity and threat in the marketplace. And that comes with researching. Researching is your best friend, nonstop. (laughs) So if, if there is one thing that I want you to walk away with, it is research, 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 research. I think I said it enough, right? (laughs) Research y'all. Okay. So that's number one making sure you you understand the market in its totality and we will have actually it's episode four the next episode will be on market research so i'm super excited for that if you didn't already tell next number two uh you need to get yourself an accountant and an attorney uh the number one thing that i can't stand when i hear other professionals talk is i hear them say oh you want to start a business? It is so simple. Just go out, get yourself an EIN, register that business, and you go and you register with the city. And then, you know, if you know your marketing, you know your clients, get your website up and just do it. Okay. So hear me and hear me clearly, friends. I am all for motivating people. I'm all for inspiring people. I'm all for getting you out the door and onto your feet and in the right direction. But I'm also for the hard truth. Let me say it again. I'm for inspiring. I'm for motivating. I'm for getting you out the door and helping you to achieve your purpose. But I'm also for the hard truth. You need to understand that if you go into entrepreneurship, it is not glitz and glam. If this is the life that you are choosing and this is your purpose, you need to understand it's not sexy. Sometimes you will be up late at night 
Sometimes you will not be at that party with your girlfriends and you will not be on the boat cruise and you will not be at the fancy gala. Sometimes you are crunching numbers. Sometimes when you leave the office and you shut those doors, you've gone home and you fixed dinner for your spouse and your kids and you've got the homework done. You are right back in your office making sure those numbers look good before you have to end your day and go and and rest before you start back again the next day. People need to understand that running and operating a business is not easy. You need to be on top of your work. So just telling people to sign up for an EIN and register your business is not the right approach. You need an accountant and you need an attorney. Let me say it again. You need an accountant and you need an attorney. <laughs> You need these things. The the attorneys give you the legal insight, the business formation structured the right way. And if you don't know where to find them, go to the bar association, go to your local chamber of commerce. You ask fellow colleagues who have had the business attorneys where they got their attorney. You can even check out their attorney. If you like their attorney and the relationship and the rapport is healthy and and and, and satisfying to you, hire them. If not, go and and figure out or if they told you where they found them, look on the site where they found them. Okay, don't just go out here all willy nilly and do it yourself. I don't care how smart you are. I don't mean to be insulting, but I'm going to tell you, even as smart as you are, you will mess up and you will put yourself in a situation where you will have fines. And I promise you, you don't want to deal with the IRS. I promise you, you don't want to be in a legal battle. So do it the right way. Get yourself an attorney. Okay, get yourself an accountant who can help you get all the right tax breaks. Okay, who can help you incorporate the right way, who can help you, you know, get your finances in order. Don't be out here trying to do it yourself. Now, pick your accountant wisely. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. Pick your accountant wisely. Again, refer to SCORE. If you guys don't know about SCORE, SCORE.org. Okay, they are free resource. Let me say it again. Free resource. Free 99. Free99.com. Okay. <laughs> they will help you get right. Okay. Experts with years of industry experience. Tap into them, guys. Okay. They, they are here available and willing to help you they volunteer let me say it again volunteer their time because they see value in small businesses they want you guys to be successful so why not utilize them okay so if you do not have an accountant go to the score get a mentor uh, my mentor is from SCORE, okay? I love her. She is a certified uh, accountant. She, her background is finance, and I have been rocking with her over the last three and a half years, and I wouldn't trade her for the world. She, the reason I keep going is because she keeps pushing me. She don't let me give up, right? So I, I would not be where I am today without her, so I'm super thankful. And guess what, friends? She's from SCORE, so... I say all that to say that uh, you can do it if you put your mind to it. So uh, definitely make sure you get yourself an accountant and you get yourself an attorney at the very, very beginning. 
okay? So EIN, register with your local city, town, municipality, okay? You need to, I said this earlier, you need to know the laws and you need to know the regulations in your state. Healthcare is one of the most heavily regulated industries in the United States. And a part of that regulation and those laws is making sure that you are licensed in every area. So if you're a clinical professional, your license needs to be active. Okay, now some states have wiggle rooms. Like, so for example, in Georgia, you can be pre-licensed and own a private practice, right? And so I've had a client who was from the state of Tennessee where Tennessee changed their laws. They did not allow pre-license to be private practice. At some point, I guess there was a law that stated that they could operate in a pre-licensed state. Well, uh, the lady came to me and said, oh, what do I do? Like, how do I, I have to give up all my clients. Like, how can I uh, restructure? And so after doing some research, I said, okay, well, Georgia does allow you to utilize your license in their state and and utilizing your license in their state, you can also operate as a private practice. So she was able to redirect her license to Georgia, got approved, and still operate out of Georgia. Now, the downside to that was anybody from Tennessee couldn't see her unless they were cash pay. The caveat to that was she was able to get clients out of Georgia and still be able to render the same services until she was able to become fully licensed. So this is why it's important that you understand the laws and the regulations and each and every single state. Working hand in hand with her attorney, we were able to redirect her accordingly, okay? So, uh... Sorry, y'all. I kind of got off track with my story. <laughs> uh, getting her set up and and registered in the state of Georgia, she was able to register as a virtual uh, virtual provider. Okay, because she wasn't physically in the state, but she did offer virtual services. All right, so you need you need to know what your licensing requirements are. You need to know how the licensing requirements, uh, if you're in another state, but you are serving in another state where your license is accepted, you need to know if that state, what are the requirements for that state to be able to accept your license, okay? That's also very important as well. Um, other things that you need to be aware of you need to know the ordinance, the zoning laws in each and every single state where you plan to uh, own and operate an office space. That is super important, especially when it comes to accessibility, um, making sure that you are following the ADA laws, that you are in compliance with OSHA safety. There is just so much involved with making sure that you are 
in compliance with every single law as a business owner. This is not the same as when you worked for somebody else. When you own the business, you are responsible for everything. You need to register with the Department of Unemployment. Every state calls it something different. In Massachusetts, we call it the Department of Unemployment. You need to register with the Department of Revenue, right? Because every time that you hire someone and every time that you make a sale, you need to report. Uh, now, if you have an accountant, hence why I said with uh, option two slash B, uh, you need to have an accountant. They will also help you with that as well. Now, whether or not that accountant will register for you or you register and then they become a representative on the account is something different. So that's a conversation that you also need to have with your accountant as well, okay? You need to get payroll service if you plan to have employees at the start of your practice. Now, depending on the payroll service that you use, you need to also have a conversation with them on what they will and will not do. Another thing that you need to uh, do at the very beginning, and, and, and some people might disagree with this, but this is something that I'm saying and something that I work with my clients on, is that you need to start forming your structure of your organization now. And the reason I say this is because even if you are not planning to have employees at the beginning, you have an idea of when you want to hire someone, right? And you need to know what the company structure is going to look like at the very beginning. If you don't know what the company structure is going to look like at the very beginning, and you don't have any direction, then when it comes time for you to start hiring, like when the when it gets busier, when the demand is heavy, when you're really stressed out and you need to start delegating, you're going to be running around with your head cut off, right? <laughs> and we don't want that. I, I run into that situation more times than often where people are stressed out and they come into the little small groups that, that I'm a part of and they say, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. I, I, you know, I, I'm stressed and, and I got all these tasks and I'm up doing these notes and I got billing and I got this and I just, and then the therapists say, well, I think it's time that you start hiring. And they're like, oh, well, I just don't know where to begin. And the first thing that comes to mind every time that they say it is, well, did you create your organizational structure when you first started? And they always say, and I do ask it and they always say, no, because at the time, it was just me. I wasn't thinking about hiring. What? <laughs> you weren't thinking about hiring? At some point, you are going to have to hire. Now, that is not the case for everyone. So I, I want to make sure I'm very clear on this. Some people actually stay a solo practice. Okay? Some people never hire. And that's okay because everybody is not designed to become a leader, right? But if you find that you are very, very, very busy, your phones are going off, you virtual assistant can't handle it, and you see that there is a need and you're thinking expand, you should already have that structure in place. Even if you don't plan to hire later down the line. And the reason being is that if it gets to this point right here where you are so stressed out, where you need the help 
It's no longer an option for you to be solo. It, it is a requirement that you expand out. You already have the plan in place. It's already done. You already know what this looks like. You don't have to stress out, hire someone to, to come in and teach you things and then add more to your plate at a time where you really just need that alleviated. So get the structure done at the beginning, okay? Know exactly what it would look like if you did hire somebody or hire people, hire a team. Know what it would look like if you had an office space, right? What does your office look like? What is the paint color it's gonna look like? What feeling do you want people to have? I think the best story I ever heard, and when I came across this article, I thought it was dope. Uh, this this therapist, I forgot what state he was out of. He created an atmosphere full of action figures, superheroes, and basically an entire man cave. Okay, he had a bookstore, he had free coffee and water and soda. Okay. And he had some TVs in the office space and he really wanted his clients to come in and just be at ease. Feel like they were in, 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 I'm not going to say a barbershop, but like, um, at home, like in this, um, this chill zone. Okay. That that's the best way I could describe it. Now I'm not a man. And I can't, I can't speak for men and what that feeling would give. But what I can say is if a client walked into that space who was already hesitant about going to therapy and they were like, yo, this is nice, they're no longer thinking about the anxiety of talking to a therapist now. They're thinking, yo... I might just be down with this. Yo, they got these. Okay, like what kind of therapist is this? Okay, they're they're a little more open to to having a conversation with someone because of the environment and how welcoming it is, right? So when you're preparing for private practice, think about how you want people to perceive therapy, but more than people perceive you as the one who is there to help them overcome their challenges. So that's uh, another thing that you should start to incorporate in your plans. Last but not least, and I'm gonna leave it here and then we'll, we'll, we'll work on more in other episodes. You also want to work on your operational plans. I will not stress that enough. <laughs> I am always talking operations, okay? I'm always talking operations uh, for several reasons. Uh, operations is the number one area that practices fail, okay? Efficient workflows wasted time, wasted resources, wasted employee resources, okay? If you do not have a clearly defined operations, you will fail, okay? You will fail. I, I, I can promise you that. Your operations needs to be concise down to the T, okay? You need to have a process improvement checklist. 
you need to have a process improvement plan. You need to know what's working for you and what's not working for you. So a part of preparing for private practice is A, and this is going to go back to that research aspect that we talked about before, you need to know the laws and the regulations. And a part of knowing the laws and regulations is going to help you develop your policies. And a part of developing your policies is going to help you develop your processes. Let me say that again. Laws and regulations will help you develop your policies. Your policies will help you develop your processes. Your processes will help you to help your employees, okay? If your processes is not working or your employees are not understanding your processes, you need to go back to the drawing board or you need to look at what's broken. Is it the policy? Was it a changing law or regulation? Because things are constantly changing. If you're incorporating insurance, if you are a cash pay, I'm sorry, not in cash pay. I'll, I, I was jumping ahead of the gun, so I apologize. If you are uh, utilizing insurance, and we didn't talk about that, and we will talk about that uh, a little bit later. If you're using insurance, you know that insurance is constantly changing its policies, and you have to stay up to date on that. One way that they hold providers accountable is they encourage you to sign up for their monthly newsletters. And it's not a requirement, right? They don't make it a requirement, but they encourage you to do that. And they do it quite often. It's on their website. It's in the provider manual. It is listed in their um their little, if you ever notice on their website, there is a little news feed. It's, it's heavily everywhere, right? And, and then uh, when you call and you say, oh, I didn't know about these changes. They say, oh, well, did you, did you sign up for our email, our email, our newsletters? Why? Because when changes happen, it's often communicated where? In their newsletter, on their website, Places that administrators should be checking on a regular basis, but often don't have time to. But what do you have time to do? You have time to check your email. So this is why they encourage you to sign up for their newsletters, because oftentimes those changes, the updated policies, are communicated through the emails. Okay, So you need to know when these changes occur, because when they occur, they're going to affect your business in some way, shape, or form. An example, uh, CMS put out that new rule about the, um, oh my goodness, I would draw a blank on the name of it, the new, the good faith estimates, right? So now every single provider, hospital, behavioral health, primary care, you name it, if you offer healthcare services, you now have to issue a good faith estimate to patients. <laughs> and this came when everybody said, you know what, I'm tired of the insurance panel, I'm going to deliver uh, cash pay rates. It also came because if patients had a out-of-network plan and they went to 
or, or didn't have a network network plan. Let's let's go from both angles. And they went to a hospital, let's say out of state, and the insurance company only paid a certain amount. Uh, the hospital would turn around and they would bill the patient an exuberant amount. Let's say, um, let's say they went into the ER with a a fractured ankle, okay, and they left with crutches. Well, they would get a bill for <laughs> a procedure that was done on the on the ankle that wasn't done. All right, so now uh, regulators are saying, you know what? You're not going to do this anymore. You're going to give the patient a good faith estimate ahead of time of what their what it's going to look like at the end of their stay. You can no longer build them by surprise. So now if a patient presents to the ER and they have a fractured ankle, the patient access reps now have to come in and say, hey, listen, this is what you're here for. After reviewing your charges, or after reviewing with the doctor of what your potential charges are, this is what it's going to look like for your stay. In that same respect, when it comes to private practice, you don't know why the patient is presenting to you right? You don't know what the patient's issues are. You, you Listen, you're just doing an initial valuation. You still don't know what the patient is coming for because it, it really takes several visits and it, it, some time to really get to know the patient. Some patients are not just going to divulge every little thing to you. So you have your initial assessment to understand what the needs are. But before you even get there, they're requiring that you put something <laughs> into the field to be able to issue a good faith estimate. Well, we've been telling people to put the Z codes, right? We've been telling people to put the Z codes until you have been able to issue a an actual diagnosis for them, or if they're even diagnosable. Some people may not even fall in the DSM-5, right? Some people may just need preventative uh, care. They just need to, to talk with somebody for a little bit to get back to health. It, you won't know until you see them, but that good faith estimate changed the game for many therapists across the United States. It required more added work. Another thing that you should also keep in mind is that EHR systems, uh, EHR companies, also started to integrate that into their programs to offer automated systems. So a part of preparing for private practice is looking at what systems is now offering that as an automated feature. Can you upload your documents, your your paperwork into the system or is that already included? So those are things that you should probably, you should look at when you are preparing for private practice. I know that was kind of all around the bin <laughs> in my explanation, uh, but I hope you followed me just a little bit. <laughs> and if you didn't, then that's okay. Just email me and I will, I will better explain it uh, to you.
But nonetheless, you need to be aware of when regulatory changes come that are going to affect your practice. Uh, when they come, they they are going to affect you either positively or negatively. And when I mean negatively, sometimes it's going to be a burden. It's going to be more work on you. And you have to have the ability to find a way to make it work for your practice. So when you are starting in the beginning and these changes are in are underway, you need to, this is a part of knowing your market, doing that market research, right? There's a tool called a SWOT analysis. We'll talk about that on episode four. You, this, this is one of those things that you need to prepare for. So that would technically fall under a threat when it's negatively going to impact your business. Okay, so we've talked about processes, operational plans. Um, I think I'm gonna end it here for now, um, only because a lot of what we have written down is going to tie into market research and we have an entire episode dedicated to market research. So I don't want to, I don't want to go too, too deep. However, I will say this, we are going to touch on this episode again after market research. Uh, The next episode is developing your framework, episode five. So I'm super excited for that. And it will go, it's a deeper dive into operational plans uh, for preparing for private practice. Uh, So definitely make sure you tune into that episode, uh, more so because we're going to cover one of my favorite um, frameworks, which is the McKinsey 7S framework. So if you are available, well, we post our our podcast at five o'clock in the morning. I'm not expecting you (laughs) to be up at five o'clock in the morning, but uh, if you are, uh, definitely tune in because we will also be going live on Instagram as well. Uh, Before I end, I just want to conclude that we are taking pre-sales for the Patient and Provider Bridge Program. For those who don't know what the Patient and Provider Bridge Program is, we started this program in 2020. We started preparing for this program. Uh, We had two programs running at the same time. It was the Mental Health Provider Extension Program, which was focusing on Uh, bridging the gaps between providers and patients. We were also trying to uh, help providers come together and and expand services throughout the United States. Uh, That program did not launch in the way that we wanted it to, right? So taking a failure and turning it around and making it a success we took the concepts of that program and we moved it over to the patient and provider bridge program, which focuses on basically connecting patients to providers, essentially is what we do. The difference between the first program and this program, it is more so a matching service, a referral management service. We help the providers get direct referrals from our community partners. We have an entire directory where providers not only uh, get to be highlighted and get extensive visibility, but they also have access to business tools, back-end tools that will help them be successful. So if you are 
a solo provider that does not have the help, you are not delegating work to anyone or you don't have a virtual assistant right now, this would be a really good tool for you right now as you are trying to build your practice and can alleviate some of the manual work that you are doing. Uh, so if you are interested in learning more, definitely reach out to us via email to get the link to sign up for our information session. As I mentioned earlier, we we're taking pre-sales uh, for this service and we will be having an information session in the next three weeks. So you definitely want to make sure you hop on this as the prices are lower now, but they will be going up after the pre-sales end. So with that being said, I am going to end this live. If you have any questions or concerns, as always, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And we look forward to connecting with all of you soon. Have a great afternoon. Well, friends, that's our time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. This podcast is sponsored by JLW Medical Management Consulting. We are now accepting applications for the patient referral program and the 90-day private practice boot camp. If you would like to learn more, please visit us online at www.jlwmedicalmh.com. We look forward to seeing you next time.